something about the Bible teaching concerning the Trinity as we find it in the Old Testament. I'm very concerned that we who love the Lord Jesus Christ and love the people of Israel, and I know that all of you who listen to the Christian Jew hour love the people of Israel, I'm concerned that we be effective witnesses to our Jewish friends. One thing that's very important for us is that when the Jewish people ask us questions, we be able to answer their questions by referring to the Old Testament. Obviously, they are not going to be interested in what the New Testament has to say at first. That's not their scripture. They don't see it as authoritative. But to them, regardless of their background, the Old Testament is at least the scripture of the people of Israel. It's their book. It's their Bible. And if we can effectively use it to explain Christian doctrine to them, they'll be able to understand it more clearly. And surely I've seen on many occasions how the Spirit of God has ministered through the teaching of the Old Testament to the Jewish people. We want to look at that great passage of the Old Testament, which I've mentioned in each one of our studies, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. The passage which we call the Shema. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echot. You notice that as I've read that passage, I've used the word Adonai twice. Adonai is the name of God. It means master. Interestingly, however, the Hebrew scripture does not read that way. In those two places, it has the word Yahweh or Jehovah. But when the Jewish people read this verse, as when they read every other part of the word of God, where the word Jehovah or Yahweh is mentioned, they will not pronounce that holy name. But instead, they substitute the name Adonai. It's important for us to realize, however, that the real word in the passage is the word Yahweh or Jehovah, the covenant name of God. We want to look at this passage today and see whether it contradicts the Bible teaching concerning the Trinity. As I've said, the Jewish people will use this passage and constantly will emphasize the fact that it teaches the absolute unity of God. How can there be a trinity when God says the Lord is one? Let's take a look at the passage and see what it actually does say. First of all, we want to note that there are two different names of God used in the passage. The words Yahweh or Jehovah, the personal name of God is there, but then the name Elohim is there. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, Jehovah our Elohim. In our first study, I pointed out to you that the name Elohim is a plural name of God. Anytime you find the suffix im on a Hebrew word, it indicates that it's masculine and plural. So here, in this passage, which our Jewish people say 
emphasizes the unity of God, the fact that God is only one, in this very passage, we have that plural name of God. One word is very important for us to consider, and that is the word one. Now, in order to explain this, I'm going to have to speak a little bit about Hebrew words and the Hebrew language, but I think it's important that we discuss it in order to understand exactly what the passage is talking about. There are two different words which are frequently used and translated one in the Bible. One word that's commonly used means something that is absolutely one, one of a kind. If God wanted to emphasize the absolute unity of God, the fact that there's no way that there could be a trinity, there's no way that there could be more than one person, if that's what he wanted to emphasize, he could have used this word. It's a Hebrew word which is yahid. Now, it's used in several places in the Bible. For instance, we find it in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 2, where God says to Abraham, Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. God is emphasizing in this passage that this was the only real son. This was the only covenant child. There were no more. God says, take your son, your only son. Absolutely one. Another passage where this is used, a passage which I'm sure is quite familiar to you, is Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. And they will look on me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son. And they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over the firstborn, as one mourns for his only son. This is a word that speaks of absolute unity, only one of a kind. God did not use this word in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. If he has, then we would have to say, well, the Trinity is not a possibility. But you see, God's word does not contradict itself. The Old Testament does not contradict the New Testament. Instead, God used the word echad. Echad is a word that frequently has the idea of a compound unity. What do I mean by compound unity? Well, give you an example. If you were to meet my family, I could say, we are the Minsky family. Well, I'm speaking of one family, but that family happens to represent five different individuals. Five different human beings are in that family, but it's one family. This is a compound unity. Give you some examples of how it's used in the Bible. 
In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24 we read, For this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Two people. And yet God says they are one flesh. We could uh, look at quite a number of examples. I'll look at uh, just one more. In the book of Ezekiel, in chapter 37, right after that beautiful picture of the valley of dry bones, Ezekiel is told by God to do something. He's told to take two sticks and to hold those sticks together in his hand. And those two sticks, one representing the ten tribes of Israel and one representing the two tribes of Judah, would become one in his hand. In Ezekiel chapter 37, we read this. Then join them for yourself, one to another, into one stick. That word one is this word echad, which we find in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4. So what does the passage really teach? It teaches that God, who is plural, Elohim, is a compound unity. Three persons of the Trinity united in one God. I trust that these studies have been helpful to you. I trust that you, as you examine this material, will be much more confident as you witness to Jewish people when they ask you something about the Bible teaching of the Trinity. Remember, we who love the Jewish people must be students of the Old Testament Scripture. We must be able to speak of Bible doctrine in terms of the Old Testament so that our Jewish people will be able to understand in the context in which they have learned the Scripture. I know you love the Jewish people. I love them too. And my desire is that many of the children of Israel will come to know our Messiah as each one of us is extremely faithful in teaching the word to our Jewish friends. Let us go forth with great desire, as Paul said, that Israel might be saved. Now, my friends, I want to remind you that the Christian Jew Hour is involved in a large missionary program. Over 20 missionaries are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to our Jewish people throughout the world. This is in addition to the teaching ministry which you hear on over 80 radio stations throughout the world. The Christian Jew Hour is strictly a work of faith. When I say that, I mean that it's supported entirely by the free will contributions of God's people. We have no church or denomination behind us. You're the only family that we have. Won't you write us today and send a generous offering to help in this ministry? And if you will write today and send a contribution for the support of the work, we'll send you our new Jewish home calendar for 1984. You'll agree 
that it's the most beautiful calendar we've ever produced. It shows all the important Jewish holidays. It has scripture verses for each month of the year and contains 12 full-color pictures of the Holy Land. When you write, just ask for the Jewish home calendar. That's all you need to say. And we'll send it to you just as soon as we receive your letter. Please send your generous gift to the Christian Jew Hour. That's the Christian Jew Hour, Post Office Box 345, San Antonio, Texas, zip code 78292. ...that for over three decades has given millions of Bibles through over a hundred distributors in 50 different countries. You're invited to participate financially and prayerfully in the worldwide ministry of the World Bible Society. Address your letters and send your gifts to Dr. Beshore, spelled B-E-S-H-O-R-E. Dr. Beshore, Box 1, Los Angeles, California, 90053. Christian Jew Hour is a worldwide ministry presenting Christ as the only Savior for the Jew and the only Savior for the Gentile. And now speaking today, here is the missionary evangelist of the Christian Jew Hour, another Christian Jew, Dr. Barry Minsky. In this series, we've been discussing the Bible teaching concerning the Trinity. I've shared with you the fact that I was brought up in a Jewish home, and that in our home and in our community, if there was any one truth that was believed, it was that God was absolutely one. The most well-known portion of the Word of God and the most commonly spoken words in Hebrew by the Jewish people I knew were the Shema. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. That's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, and it's translated, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You know, that particular statement of Scripture has been so important among the Jewish people that in many cases, those who are being put to death for being Jewish pronounce those words as the last words out of their mouths as they were sinking to death. It's been very important among the Jewish people. The emphasis has always been that God is one. Well, someone would ask the question, how can you, as a Christian Jew with that kind of background, go into the Old Testament and find the truth of the Trinity? And that's what we've been looking at for the last two days, and we'll be continuing today and during our next session. During the last couple of days, we've examined some of the proofs that God gives us in the Old Testament scriptures concerning the Trinity. First of all, we looked at the name of God, which is used in the very first verse in the Bible, Elohim, a plural name. Then we examined the use of plural pronouns referring to God. And finally, we looked at a couple passages of Scripture 
in which more than one person who was obviously God is seen in a single context. It might be asked, if God is a trinity, would it not be natural as we examine the Old Testament and the New Testament to find some passages in which three persons are presented and all three of them are God? Well, as a matter of fact, we can find such passages. And I'm going to look at just one with you from the Old Testament today. It's found in Isaiah chapter 48. Isaiah chapter 48. If you carefully read the context, you'll find that it speaks of redemption and deliverance. Primarily, it's not really talking about the redemption from sin, which we speak of as the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, but I believe that that kind of redemption is referred to in this passage. We know that it's God who's speaking in the passage. We can tell this from verses such as verse 12. Listen to me, O Jacob, even Israel, whom I call. I am he. I am the first. I am also the last. Surely my hand founded the earth, and my right hand spread out the heaven. Obviously, it's God who's talking here. He says, I am the first and the last. In New Testament terms, we could say he is saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. And then the passage tells us that he is the one who created the world. He is the one who made the earth. Obviously, this is referring to God and to no other. But when we get to the 16th verse, we find that in this passage, God is referred to in more than one person. Let me read the verse. Come near to me. Listen to this. From the first I have not spoken in secret. From the time that it took place, I was there. And now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. I want you to notice, first of all, that there is a person speaking. We've already seen that this is God. And he refers to two other individuals. From the time that it took place, I was there. Here is God saying, I was there. But then he comments, and now the Lord God has sent me, God is sending God, and his spirit, referring to the Holy Spirit of God, of course. Now, what could this be talking about? I believe it's very clear. It's speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ being sent by the Father for the work of redemption. Jesus is talking, I was there. God the Father is said to have sent him. And now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. Think of that glorious work of God involved in redeeming his people. God the Father was involved in the work of election. 
In the book of Ephesians chapter 1, we're told that we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. But in order to accomplish the work of redeeming his people, God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be born on earth as a human being and eventually to die on the cross of Calvary. It's interesting that the Lord Jesus, in his great high priestly prayer, refers to this very concept. He says in the second verse, Even as thou gavest him authority over all mankind, that to all whom thou hast given him, he may give eternal life. All those chosen by the Father are given to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he gives to them eternal life. But he goes on to say this, I manifested thy name to the men whom thou gavest me out of the world. They were thine, and thou gavest them to me, and they have kept thy word. Jesus was involved in the work of redeeming his people. And he tells us in the fourth verse that he accomplished the work which God had sent him to do. In verse 8, he says this, And the words which thou gavest me I have given to them, and they received them, and truly understood that I came forth from thee, and they believed that thou didst send me. God the Father sent the Lord Jesus Christ into the earth to die for the sins of his people. But in this passage in Isaiah chapter 48, it says also that the Spirit of God was sent. Well, you'll remember that the Lord Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, said to his disciples, it is expedient that I go away. For if I don't go away, I will not send the Spirit of Truth to come to you, the Comforter. He's speaking, of course, of the Holy Spirit, who was to go to abide with and in his people. The Spirit came to dwell. That's exactly what's being referred to in Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 16. Come near unto me, listen to this. From the first I have not spoken in secret. From the time that it took place, I was there. And now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. But the thing that we want to emphasize is that in this passage, there are three individuals. All three of them are God. Well, we have seen very clearly that the Lord Jesus was God. We could tell that from verse 12. We know that God the Father who sent him is God, for it says it in the very verse. It says, and now the Lord God has sent me. I don't think there are any listening today who would doubt that the Spirit is also God, but there are those who doubt the, the deity of the Holy Spirit. And I think this is very clearly taught in the Scriptures. There's no question about it. Uh, we could look at many, many passages, but one which is abundantly clear, is in 
uh, Acts chapter 5, where we read the account of Ananias and Sapphira. And in that passage where it talks about the great lie of Ananias and Sapphira, we read in the third verse, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? He had lied to the Spirit of God. But then I want you to notice that in the fourth verse, the comment is, you have not lied to men, but to God. Verse 3, we're told you lied to the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, we're told you lied to God. Obviously, this means and teaches very clearly that the Spirit of God is in fact God. What a glorious thing for us to look at the Trinity, to look at God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and to see them in action, working for the redemption of God's people that we who love him might have everlasting life. It's exciting to look at the Old Testament and see that the truths that we know as Christian doctrine are presented there as well as in the New. In our next study, I plan to look at that passage which I've mentioned during each one of the studies, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, to see whether there's any problem in understanding this passage in the light of the Trinity. Until then, the Lord bless you. Now, my friends, as the missionary evangelist of the Christian Jew Hour, I want to ask you to stand with us in our radio ministry and our missionary work among the Jewish people. More than anything else, the Jews need to know Jesus Christ as their Messiah. They need to hear the gospel. And we have a staff of over 20 dedicated missionaries who are faithfully taking the gospel to the Jewish people every day around the world. And remember, when you support our work, you are sending out missionaries to give the gospel to the Jews. Write us today and let us know what part you'll have in our missionary work among the Jewish people. And when you write and send a contribution for the support of our work, we will send you our new Jewish home calendar for 1984. I think you'll agree that it's the most beautiful calendar we've ever produced. It shows all the important Jewish holidays. It has scripture verses for each month of the year and contains 12 full-color pictures of the Holy Land. When you write, just ask for our Jewish home calendar. That's all you need to do. And we'll send it to you just as soon as we receive your letter. Now send your gift and your request for the calendar to the Christian Jew Hour. That's the Christian Jew Hour, Post Office Box 345, San Antonio, Texas, zip code 78292. This is Barry Minsky saying goodbye and wishing you God's richest blessing. You're tuned to KSKY in Dallas 660 on your dial.